Hello, hello, and thank you for joining everybody. Hello and welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the Frequency of 528 podcast. This is Dr. Ariel Policano, your host for the hour. We talk on the Frequency of 528 podcast all about the cutting edge information about health, frequency, energy, things that help us to be healthier, to be more informed, to be wiser to challenge us to expand our intellect and use new technologies, new ways to heal ourselves, new ways to learn about ourselves. And we have an exciting guest today. I am so excited to bring you this information. We're going to have fun today on the podcast. You're going to laugh, you're going to learn, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So let's just talk a little bit before we welcome on our guest. Let's talk a little bit about the Frequency of 528 podcast. Like I said, I am your host, Dr. Ariel Policano. I'm a naturopathic doctor. I also teach people about energy and frequency. And we are live every Thursday at four o'clock live on YouTube. You can look for Ariel Policano on YouTube and you can find the recorded version of this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to listen to past episodes. If you're listening and you enjoy the podcast, we really sincerely appreciate if you can leave us a five-star review, helps other people to discover the podcast and learn about what we're doing. Okay, also our podcast is brought to us by an amazing technology called The Genius. It's available to learn about at geniusbiofeedback.com. If you've ever wanted to energetically test yourself, find out what vitamins, minerals, supplements, herbs, that you need, as well as learn all about emotional blocks, find your best affirmations, help to clear the energy of your home, help to draw money to you like a magnet. You can use the Genius Biofeedback technology for all of these things. The only thing you need is your picture and your voice and a willingness to learn more about energy and frequency. You can get a 14-day trial for absolutely free with no obligation, no credit card at geniusbiofeedback.com and just click on the menu to download the 14-day trial. So we say it's like having a nutritionist and acupuncturist and chiropractor in the palm of your hand because you can work on spinal energy, you could work on the meridians, you could work on vitamins, minerals, all of these things you can discover and balance. That's at geniusbiofeedback.com. The main tool of the genius itself is all about the voice, the frequency of the voice and the genius evaluates your voice and helps you to understand yourself through a sophisticated voice engine. Speaking of the genius, we also, for those of, in our genius community, we have a special class coming up called our business launch pad. And in the business launch pad, we help you to start your genius practice. We give you all the forms. We give you all the strategies. We give you all the secrets, the marketing secrets that you need to know. Copy for your emails, business card templates, brochures, intake forms, client questionnaires that you can give to your client that are fillable, that they can fill in every single week so you can see their progress in real time through real reports where they let you know their progress. 
So please go to geniusbiofeedback.com and go to just put in the word launch pad into the search bar. You'll see that come up and you can even get $100 off the course before September 1st. It's going to be three classes beginning on September 15th. They're all recorded. They go live at 12 o'clock on Pacific time, three o'clock on Eastern time. And um, then they're all recorded and available for you to watch over and over again. If you've ever, ever wanted to have a home-based business to make money with the genius, this is your opportunity to pretty much have everything put right into your hand, turnkey, and it's very reasonably priced. We want everybody to participate and become a successful genius practitioner making hundreds or thousands of dollars a month. So please join us for the Genius Business Launchpad beginning on September 15th. All right, so this week we are going to talk about discovering the Egyptian codes as channeled by our guests. This will be a fascinating connection with some very, very high energies that want to speak to us, want to educate us about hidden codes, meaning, all kinds of very interesting things. And my guest, which we're going to bring on in just a moment, and uh, well, I do hope she, that she's here with us. And let me just give one second just to make sure, okay, I'm going to promote our wonderful guest up to a panelist here. And so she'll be ready to join us in just a moment. And she's Barry Schlosser. She's become fascinated with the architecture, shapes, symbols related to the Egyptian ancients. She's a fashion designer by trade, but very talented in her work. And now maybe meshing these two worlds together, she has a really unbelievably unique you're fine Barry you can stay on there you can stay on there and she's a great unique perspective and she's also a childhood friend somebody I've known for years and years and now has gotten into this frequency and energy work herself so I'm super excited for Barry to join us hello my dear how are you you're just your sound is not on unless I don't have my sound on so let's just make sure okay. so just take some time oh I think you're good yes thank you Oh, good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. I've never um, had an audience for my Egyptian, what I've been doing. So this is exciting. I know. It's so, so exciting. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to stop the screen share for a moment so people can get to know you. So oh, so fun to be here with you. So tell us all about yourself and how the heck you stumbled into doing this work. Well, um, during the uh, pandemic or during the quarantine, I was going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art a lot. It was on, it was limited capacity. Sorry, let me mute this. And um, I started noticing without all the humans in the museum that all these artifacts had so much energy coming off it that I never realized because the museum is usually jam packed and, you know, school trip, all kinds of things going on. And so I wanted to dig a little further and I went on a spiritual tour of the Egyptian wing at the Met with Tori Quisling, who is a um, spiritual mentor of mine. And I've taken psychic development classes with her. She's a well-known clairvoyant and medium. And she introduced me to um, one statue in particular that became, we ended up having a very, um, we've had a long-standing relationship now. Oh, I can't wait to hear about that. And it's been very interesting. And I've had other communications with a lot of the other um, with a lot of the other artifacts and it's led to a lot of very interesting and you know kind of bizarre things 
So <laughs> we're going to hear all about it because you yeah. now talk to these beings and they talk to you. And we're going to find out all about that. And I know that our audience, our tribe here with the genius is absolutely be fascinated with that. And is going to love to hear all about that. We are just getting a little bit of feedback. So I don't know if you need to turn down your sound or if there's anything that you can do just to help us a little bit with that. And you might even have to put in um, ear pods, but actually I think it's better. Go ahead and test it. Okay. Is it okay now? Do I have to? It's still a little bit of feedback. Do you have any air, ear pods or anything? If you don't, no, no, don't no. worry. If you don't, um, it's okay. Shit, I don't. Oh. Don't worry about it. Don't worry <laughs> I don't think it. I do. Oh, sorry about that. No, I, don't worry about I, it. We're, it's, not, it's not unbearable. Sometimes it's been much worse, but let's get into the juicy mm -hmm. parts of this. So you live in New York. And just tell us a little bit about you know, like your background. You've always, you know, you've done fashion, but you've always been interested in spirituality and like channeling people who channels. Just give us a little bit of your background. Um, yeah, I guess I've been, I mean, I think that is actually now that I, I am a fashion designer and I work with fabrics and I work with ceramics and all sorts of different mediums. And it's come now I've figured out why. It, it seems that these Egyptians, they, they're putting me to work on all these different projects. Um, it's almost like they chose me um, based on what I do, which is kind of strange. Um, it took me a while to figure out, like first I thought it was going a little crazy and now I've been able to remove my belief systems more and sort of go with it. But yeah, I guess I've always been into astrology and you know all sorts of occult, you know, I've read all types of books. Um, but it's now it has a different meaning because now I'm working with spirits, but I'm working with them, you know, with statues and mummies. And it's, it's kind of an interesting way to get into working with spirits because they are real tangible um, statues, which I never, I mean, I never believed in any of this before. Um, so now it's really closed the loop on everything that I've been basically like learning over the past 20, 30 years, as long that's as that's incredible. Been. So you said it was the Metropolitan Museum, is that right? Yeah. Yes, that's okay, where so the Egyptian work is. Yeah. So, and you went into that wing and what happened that we were with, with uh, Tori Quisling and you went in and what was your experience of walking through for that first time? Well, I guess actually those pictures that I sent you. Um, and we can look at them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because actually, so Horam Heb, actually, if you want to put the first picture on, he, I'd like to introduce you to him because absolutely. He... <laughs> Give me just a moment to get this all set up for you, and I'll be able to put up. Um, going to be able to keep some of them out of view, and then just bring in the ones that we're talking about at that time. So okay, so they're all numbered. Yeah, number one, Hormib. <laughs> uh, don't worry, I'll find them. So they might be a little bit out of order, but if you just tell me the names, I'll absolutely be able to find it's them. It's so. actually just number one, like I numbered them. So oh, you, you did number them. Yeah. Wow, you're very organized. Okay, here we go. <laughs> well, here he is. Okay, so I want to introduce you to Hormheb. He um, and and how how I met him. Um, basically, he sits outside the Temple of Dendor, which is very very famous um, temple inside the the Met Museum. And he, here he's a scribe when he was young, younger and being a scribe is a very, very um, prestigious um, profession. Now, why is, being a scribe, why is being a scribe prestigious or why was it? You have to learn, um, no, very few people write hieroglyphs. Um, and so you have to go to school for it. And it's very, um, I guess it takes years and years to become one and you have to be born into a family to do so. And so he, um, 
He went on to become um, the leading official in Tukahaman's government. He was a Supreme Military General. And because Tukahaman was very young, he basically was running the, the Egyptian, he was running Egypt, the country. He was, he was behind it. And uh, most people didn't know that. And then um, he was considered one of the most powerful men of his time. And um, he be eventually became a pharaoh without any blood lineage. He was supposed to be heir to, he was supposed to take over the throne of Tukahaman, but um, another advisor that he worked with uh, took the throne while he was, um, I guess he was working somewhere, I don't know where he was, um, but something military related. And this other man came in and, and, uh, and I think he had him killed. I mean, just from our conversations, <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't very happy with that um, someone came in and took his position. But he, um, so in his coronation speech, he proclaimed that he is a clever, great of marvels, and he declared that he worked directly with the gods, and he was chosen by the gods, Amun-Ra and Horus, to rule Egypt. And he even, um, his wife, Mutsetmet, was actually Nefertiti's sister. So he's actually like has a lot of credentials before he even became the pharaoh and as a pharaoh he was he brought a lot of order back to Egypt there was a lot of turmoil um, with a few of the pharaohs before him so um, but the thing is nobody at the museum his complaint is that nobody knows of him and they're just busy looking for the bathroom and and they walk right by him and so um, you told me you know, about this he's because he's situated close to the to the restroom. And so when you talk with these, they, they tell you like, I was a, I was a famous scribe and right. now I'm he just in the washroom. Right. He made me write a homage, homage to Hormheb. Um, <laughs> and so also he, um, you know, so we, and I had to talk about all his accolades and he really thinks it's very important that that gets out in the world. Um, well, and when you look at him, I mean, when you personally look at him, like, what do you channel or feel just about him? Like, I feel a lot of power. Well, he's very, very powerful. Screen. You could actually go to the next one. Um, if there, it's an up-close yeah. version. He's he's basically a live statue. Um, Tori and I were talking about it, and there he is. <laughs> and um, every time you look at him, like, or I, that's how we met. Our eyes, he kept following me with his eyes. I was like, wow, what's going on here? And Tori said, oh, he recognizes you. I was like, how does he recognize me? She said, oh, you've had a past life with him. You work with him, which is funny because I'm sort of working with him now. I actually today went to the Met to, because um, I said, let me see if he has a message for us today. And I actually was sitting there talking to him with my notepad and people were looking at me like I was completely bonkers. And, um, but I do have a message um, actually, uh, and it's about the hieroglyphs. And I thought it was very interesting. So. But also, so he is, um, I feel him, like I, I feel that there's a spirit in there and it really feels like when you stand next to him, you know, I was like, wow, this is crazy. It took me a long time to, um, you know, kind of be yeah, okay. I, I feel like an, an intensity, like a- He's very so intense. Like a, he's very, a, I mean, he was a, very a powerful at the time. You know, he was very powerful at the time and he's just as powerful now, except that he doesn't have a body. So I have to take care of things for him. You have to take care I mean, of what for him? I, to, I, you know, he has these, he's given me all these projects to do. Tell so, us about the projects, like an example of what he's actually asked you to do. Well, he, well, one thing, he made me learn hieroglyphs. I had, a, I had to study hieroglyphs. And when he told me to do so, I, um, I was like, okay, I don't even know where to begin. And I was riding my bike uptown one day and I ran into a friend on the street 
And I stopped to talk to her and it ends up that her mother wrote a book in the seventies about hieroglyphs. That's um, amazing. Teaching hieroglyphs to children. It's an amazing book. And so she gave me a copy. It's an out of print book. And um, I was like, and also that her stepfather is, was the head curator at the Brooklyn museum for like 30 years. I was like, just so random. So it was a total accident. Right. Right. So then I started writing in hieroglyphs and actually if you go to um he had me start drawing him he said draw me so i started drawing him it's actually maybe i think there's one more close-up of him and then there's the drawing um that's another draw uh, like because when i look in his eyes sometimes i'm like wow like i can kind of it's just i you have to kind of stand in front of him to really appreciate it um but he really just you know, there's some, there's, you know, I, I never would have believed it. <laughs> that there's even more power, thing. like in the live statue, like being in right. front of it. Is well, also, um, Tori, Tori said that any, um, any statue, doll, whatever it is that has a face can inhabit a spirit. Can have the, so the spirit can then be in the, because we learned that when I lived in an ashram, they put the prana into the statue of one of the gurus. Uh, they yeah. did the Vedic priest did a, like a ceremony to bring the prana into the like sort of the exact replica statue of that guru yeah i mean i see it all over the museum but i really feel it in the egyptian wing i think i mean i've made some other friends in the museum but it it seems like the egyptian wing is where the focus is Mm -hmm. and also that there are rituals i found out about a ritual called the opening of the mouth ceremony that basically brings statues and mummies to life so the mummies, they have to be able to eat and breathe in the afterlife. And so do the statues. And there's a whole ceremony that actually um, sadly involves some, um, it's involves some rituals of, of, of animal, you know, sacrifices. But, um, but I just found out about it and I was like, oh, okay. So this makes sense because it's, you know, I've just been going with it, but now I'm like, okay, the, this is actually was a, a regular practice in um in ancient egypt so actually the next um well let me just pause for a moment let me ask you something what what would harm have liked to let us know or is there any message oh so actually so we got a message today and it's about hieroglyphs because um i after i got the book i went to the obelisk because i met my friend in central park it happened to be a full moon and there's a man that's always there with his onk and he brings all this, um, like he brings fruit, he brings like coconuts, all these things to uh, to the obelisk. There's a big Egyptian obelisk in the park and he brings all these things to worship. And um, he was saying how um, the hieroglyphs are not supposed to be translated into English. It's corrupted and it has to be in the ancient languages and that you have to learn the ancient languages. And it's not even supposed to be phonetic in the, in the way, you know, he doesn't believe that you know, all this is the way that you're supposed to understand hieroglyphs. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting because here I am with this book and he's, you know, he just preaches and I was listening and I was like, oh, wow, it's like he's talking to me. Um, <laughs> so so Horam Heb said today that to look at hieroglyphs as an ancient QR code. That's really cool. That That is read by the pineal gland and, um, and download. It's a download. Yeah, it's a download. download from into, the subconscious, into our subconscious and it unpacks itself. And it's interesting because it's basically a pictorial snapshot. And I'm starting to realize the more I spend time with the hieroglyphs that now I'm starting to understand that. I'm starting to almost remember 
how to read them and realize that it has nothing to do with the logical mind. Like the mind, you know, we can't use the mind to read the hieroglyphs. It's more of a, um, a spiritual technology, an ancient spiritual technology. And now I'm, I'm like, yeah, it really is. And that was his message for today. And that the original hieroglyphs was a channeled code system that- um, That makes that, so much sense. Yeah. That, and, and, and actually- You actually know the hieroglyph by meditating on it probably. Possibly so. And he says the Egyptians communicated more through telep telepathy and that um, they actually didn't speak that much. In, they used power words like words of power that couldn't be corrupted, but they actually didn't, um, they didn't, um, they were mostly, most Egyptians were do, just, it was mostly about spiritual practice, um, that mainly that was the main thing was their, their gods and, and spending as much time in ceremony and ritual. So, um, yeah, so, so that's kind of was his message for the day. <laughs> And uh, I thought it was really interesting because I really got a message because I wasn't sure if I was going to. Um, so do you think that the message is about encouraging people now to concentrate on the hieroglyphs and allow the spiritual download to come in? Well, he says that if you write in it, it really is the reason that he was so successful as, a, as like, because he had no blood lineage and he became a Pharaoh. He said that all of his success is because he was able to write in hieroglyphs as a scribe and that that is what the actual Egyptian magic is. It's writing in the hieroglyphs and, and the telepathy to read it. And wow, it's like here. if you can control the language or master the language, you can master things in your life or something. Yeah, no, it's very powerful. I mean, I've had some very bizarre things happen <laughs> you know, to put it mildly. Um, so actually the next slide is I drew him. Um, he asked yeah. me to draw him and make a pattern of him. And so I did. And, um, oh, that's me, sorry. <laughs> that's, that's me at the back. You can go So actually the one after this, there's one more. I did, forgot I added that one. Yeah, it's giving me a hard time about moving it around, but just give me one second here. Yeah. Oh, wow. This yeah. is amazing. Wow. So, you drew all of this? Yeah. So this is, so I drew him and I think he looks really goth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I drew him so many times and I kept, everyone came up really goth and I asked him if he liked it. He said he loved it. <laughs> he loved the drawing of him. So in well, the it's, drawing, an it's an interesting interpretation of his eyes, which is that's right, yeah. the goth part, but, um, did you know, did you know of all these symbols? Did you feel no, that? It, well, he, he asked me to draw, um, to make a pattern and he wanted Anubis in there because he told me that, so a Heru boat, which there's a picture of a Heru boot boat in here. So tell he us a little me, bit about what, where's the Anubis? Is that, that's, this Anubis is an Anubis is the hound. So there's okay. a bunch of hounds in there. He said he wanted a pattern with the hounds and the, the, at the bottom, there's a little boat. And he told me that he is um, at the front of my Heru boat and that Anubis is the oar in the back of my the Heru boat and that I could talk to him about, you know, whatever I need to talk about. And, you know, like he would help me as a spiritual mentor and he would help me to um, get things done um, if, if I could explain what I really needed. And I had, a, I had to find the hieroglyphs for a scribe and I did. And um, where are the and, where, which ones are the hieroglyphs for a scribe? <laughs> 
It's in the left-hand corner at the very bottom. And it's, so it's the, he's described from the house of life. That's what I, I had to come up with that hieroglyph. That down here at the bottom right here? Yes. Or no, it's, yeah. a, or it's this yes, one, okay. Had it. Yeah. And the other hieroglyphs say glorious things and mighty deeds, many which he did as a king. And it's, it's a homage to Horemheb. That's, so that's also in there. And I had to put in his cartouche, which I had to find, which is at the bottom, those little um, round, those are like every Pharaoh has a cartouche right. and it, it's their stamp. And there's a little ring they wear that has a little stamp on it. And, and that's his. Which and one so is the cartouche? Where is that? It's like the little round at the very bottom of the pages, one on each side of the bottom on the left and the right hand side. Mm -hmm. The bottom. They're like um, these little round, um, not round, but like circular. I mean, actually, you could even go the Is next. Is it the one that looks like a heart? No, it's on the on the left next to the scribe symbol. There's uh -huh. one. This one. That's the scribe symbol, and next to it, on the very bottom. This is it. Yes, that's a cartouche. Oh, okay, so this yeah. is the scribe symbol. That makes more yeah. sense. And this is the cartouche, and yes. it had to be on either side. Right. Okay. It, it had to have all these things on it. And now he's told me that I, I was, um, I took pottery for a while and I came up with these, I mean, this 10 years ago, I figured out how to screen print on greenware pottery. And he showed me this and he said, you have to get back into doing pottery. He found me a pottery studio. He showed me in my head, a pottery studio, which I was it, like, it's an, I live in a very like industrial neighborhood. And he showed me a studio, which I thought was a little kid's studio, ends up being a beautiful studio. And he was like, sign up, start doing it again. And so this is my first prototype, but he wants me, to, he wants to be on a plate. He wants to be in ceramic. So I have to put him on a screen and start working. Like he's given me all these projects to do. Um, and he actually told me that he would like to, uh, because in the temple of Dendor, they have the, the uh, gala, the big Met Gala is always there. And he thinks it should be dedicated to Egypt and he wants to have plates. The, I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm just going with it. You know, I'm just, I signed up, I'm doing it. Um, so, and he just, you know, keeps giving me assignments. And, and so now I'm working on the plates and um, yeah. And, and so, and if you go to the next. And will you offer them for sale? Um, well, he, it's not him, but actually another, um, statue at the Met called Sekhmet told me that they've given me all these projects. I have, um, the mummies gave me this project where I've basically been dying. These look like, this looks like a, an unwrapped mummy. <laughs> I've, I've been doing mud dyeing. I have all these projects to do. I have to make mummy scarves and mummy shirts and a mummy, I have to make death shrouds. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the reason that they want you to make them is to honor them is it to spread the the codes and the wisdom what do you think is behind it well well first it's i have to write a book so he said you're going to be drawing all of these drawings i'm drawing every mummy um all the mummies have me drawing them and i i just i have many many things i have to draw that are going to be in the book They're, they'll be in color these are just the black and white drawings. Do you think they want you to do this to reawaken the ancient yeah, they say that it will yeah. be coded by doing it. I do have, he says I'm on the Egyptian timeline and that um, I've been, you know, this is actually my life's work and I'm doing this book and the book is going to be coded. So anybody that reads it will be a, more awakened into their, especially if they've spent lives in Egypt, it will awaken them into their, um, their true self, not their, you know, out of the 3D matrix self.
and um, and make a lot of shifts. I mean, it's made so many shifts for me. I mean, I don't even feel like the same person that I was. So, um, so they, all the products and the book I'm supposed to show to the Met when it's all finished. And he, they said that once that is the case and it's all done, then I can show it to other museums that, and other museums that carry Egyptian artifacts will also carry this and that Egypt is coming back online. And this is very, very important in the times that we're in to remember what life was before it was corrupted um, back in the you know early days before all the corruption started. Yeah. So um, actually, if you go Amazing. to the next- um, Absolutely. Is it Cartoo? Oh, the, that's the Cartoo. She could go past that because we already just discussed it. Is, is it the nesting group? We're going to the mummies, yes. <laughs> so, so then the mummies, um, this is a picture of, so actually the mummies, they are, Let's see, let me find that. They, they are, they are, these are mummiform, oh, there's me. Um, these are nested mummiform coffins painted wood from the 21st dynasty. And you know, as, basic, as a basic as it is, give us your best accounting of when we say mummy, how did they get there? What was the purpose? Give us a little bit of that. I'm just trying to rearrange the slides here. Um, so give us your best rendition of, so we could sort of go back to the basics about mummies for those of us who are not sort of Egyptian experts. Right, well, so this, this particular um, room is filled with mummies that are all from the same dig. The Metropolitan Museum was, was very instrumental in the early digs in the 1800s. And they went to Thebes to this, these are all from the Valley of the Kings where they all of the, um, all the mummies have, um, where all the uh, tombs are. And this particular room is, uh, sorry, you have all the little, um, they're all nesting, they all nest within each other. So you have the smallest, um, like the, the little small one on the end, she would have the mummy in her, in there, in that coffin. So they're all coffins really, they're not sarcophagus. Sarcophagus are these stone um, structures that, that sometimes house these, but so she, the mummy would be in the little one and she is, this is from the youngest, her youngest time when she was alive. And um, the middle mummy is probably from middle age. And the oldest mummy is when, like right before they passed away. So all three of them all have the same spirit, but they're all a little bit different. And so I started drawing them because um, some of the mummies had come, had asked me to draw them. There's actually another group in here. So these are all, this is all the same person? It's all the same person, but if you start tapping into the energy of each of these mummies, they all have a little bit of a different personality because it was at different points in their lives. That's and amazing. I didn't even realize that at first. And so I started drawing them, but I was just drawing like, oh, I just draw one of these. Like I had different connections with certain ones, but then they were like, hey, you have to draw all of us. We're a team, you know? So, um, and then I started realizing that that was really the case. And um, they're fun to draw, but but some of them, like there's another group, if you go to the next slide. We're gonna go to the next slide in a second. Now, what I noticed is the one on the left, the largest one has the most powerful energy. Is mm. that that's the oldest version of that yeah. particular? Yeah, did you notice She's that too or? <laughs> What's that? She's kind of the boss, like the oldest one because boss, they're the most okay. mature, you know? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating because they really do have, they, they all feel similar, 
but at the same time, they're a little different. Um, and yes, the, I mean, I, I, ah, sorry, there's a, some feedback because uh, um, Rodney's in the other room with the, it's on loud, sorry. Um, That's what we were hearing, that's okay, yeah, that's all right. Um, but if you go to the next slide. Okay, and so wait, a couple of things. Oh. Then you look so powerful in this particular picture with them. Isn't that, yeah. is it interesting? Like you even seem more powerful when you have them sort of like behind you, backing you up in a way. Well, the, I meditate, I started meditating in this room and the more I meditated in the room, the more I realized like, wow, there really is an afterlife. I really felt so at peace. I realized if I stay here and meditate for a certain amount of time, I really now understand what rest and peace means because you don't, the body never really is at peace, but if you spend time in here, your body feels at peace and it's very bizarre. Like it's almost like being in a womb. Um, and it's, it's just a fast, like it's the most amazing experience, but you really do need to spend time in there. So I think this was after meditation. Um, actually, Ezra took a picture of me here, but, um, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 great. It's if I spend time in the Egyptian wing and I go and visit all the people, like if I'm really drained, I mean, I live in New York City. Um, after spending time in the Egyptian wing and at the obelisk, I feel like a new person. It's like the most amazing. amazing. Like you get upgrades, especially Absolutely. from him. He always what gives does, upgrades. What does the museum tell people about this? These particular three mummies. Like, what do we? What do they, because they, what they tell people must be so different than what you would tell people. Well, they just explain, like, I think she was a, um, I'm not sure if she was a wife of one of the famous um, artisans in the region. Um, I think she died at a late age. They just kind of give the the day-to-day -day about some of these people because they're, these aren't royals here, but they also, but they did have uh, a higher status than, you know, a butcher, you know, like they, <laughs> they, they were a little bit more schooled than um, some of them were writers or married to writers or to marry to government officials and things like that. So um, yeah, they always give the basic, you know, the, you know, the, the statue is holding a, you know, like, I don't know. It's That's just what like, I mean. That's yeah, so, it's not the same. It's so one dimensional compared to yeah, what you're telling about dimensional. them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So next, next slide then. We've got the mummy crew, is that the one? Yes. <laughs> so these guys, they, they were the first ones that asked me to draw them and they're quite beautiful. They, it's interesting because um, this group, there's actually a fourth one, but I didn't add her to it, but um, they're very modern for, um, I think they're very modern for an Egyptian, like they're very stylized and this, this whole wing um, these were all a very, a very famous artisan group. It was a whole community of artisans that worked on these. And um, they, want, they approached me. And it's interesting because I feel like you can also tap into the ego of the artist that made them. And they're very, like, they really think they're very beautiful. And I started drawing them and I really, I'm not much of, I don't really draw that much. And so, I, and I really have never drawn mummies. And they actually came back to me after I drew them and they asked me to redraw them. They were not happy with it. They were like, we look way better than your drawings. Like, <laughs> you know, now that you, drawing, now that one of the drawings, he looked kind of like a Rastafarian, like, cause like, you know, so I had to redraw, like he had big, it looked like he had big dreadlocks. So I had to redraw them, but um, 
you know, so actually this, the, the black mummy, I've redrawn him like 50 times. It's so hard to get the essence of him. So that's the hard part. Um, so yeah, so, um, but this is, they're all from the same mummy. He was actually a doorkeeper or like a key keeper to the uh, temple of Amun. This um, the black mummy was? All, all, well, all three of them. They're, they're all from the same, they're the same mummy, the same human, uh, you know, mummified human, but they all have different, they all nestle within each other, but they're all different points in their lives. So why, so it, why did they do that? I don't know. I guess it was a style. Um, maybe they just thought that was a good way to um, to pay homage to their life. I'm not sure. So that did they, how did they capture that essence of different parts of their life? Did they have a mummification or something created at, at 20 and something created at 40 for themselves? Well, the thing that's interesting is that I think a lot of people hired um, hired artisans to create their coffins and their sarcophaguses before they passed away. Like it's because actually um, I went to the museum with David Hollier, who is a painter and an artisan. And he was, he could really, like he's completely clairaudient. I had no idea that he was, but um, he was talking to these mummies and one of them completely um, seemed to recognize him. And wanted him to fix his sarcophagus. And I said, well, how does this mummy know that you actually could, like you actually could do a museum quality fix? And then I thought, you know, I think that, I think she recognizes him and that she hired him. And so the artists knew them when they were alive. And so they were able to maybe talk to them about their life and create these different, um, you know, different coffins. I think it was very fashionable. I think this was a very fashionable coffin for the time. It's very modern for a, for an old coffin. I could almost imagine somebody making it now. Mm, mm. I mean, a black so, coffin, it's very, uh, very chic. <laughs> do we know the ages that they actually were at each point? I don't know. I guess I have to start talking to them more about these things, um, you, you know, some new questions to ask. So I don't know. This was, this was a male. Yeah, this was a male. And so um, then when you look at the one on the right, that now that you talk about the prana, where we talk about the energy, that one seems very alive, mm. even has like a very distinct personality, it seems. Yeah, he thinks he's very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> and also, do they have sort of a sense of humor that they- Oh, they totally about do. With you? Yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, even that I got a job, that somebody gave me a job to, um, Die, mud, die with mud and I got paid for the job. I thought it was a crazy job and um, they wanted me to come up with a process. And then I realized they gave me all this gauze and I died with the mud and it looked like I had an unwrapped mummy on my <laughs> table. And then they told me that they gave me, they got me that job. And I was like, okay, but it's true. Like, they're like, we ha you have to start making mummy scarves. We got to start, like they have all the product for me to make. <laughs> That's actually hilarious. They wanted to make awesome. mummy print, a mummy print. That's how it all started because they're like, you have to make a mummy print. But then I started drawing them and then everybody else was clamoring to be drawn. So I was like, all right, now I have to do like so many mummies. I mean, I have <laughs> so many. I'm like, oh my God, this is a lot of work. They have a lot of detail on them. So they do. Can you tell us, one. do you oh. know anything? Obviously, this is one of the most, you know, sort of iconic symbols when we think of, uh, you know, the Egyptians and the mummies. What 
Is this raw or what is Isis. the symbol? Isis. Isis. Oh, it is Isis. Okay. Um, and can you tell us about what that symbol means? Well, I think it's just a powerful, you know, a lot of people worshiped Isis and um, she was definitely the trans, she can transform your life. Um, and I guess if you're being transformed into to the afterlife, I think she can really help with that. So um, I think some of these are just different. Um, there's thought in one of the other, they're, they're usually scenes, as funeral scenes, but I think also they're just very decorative um, because they're pleasing. obviously, yeah, they're so, they're yeah. so beautiful aesthetically to look at. When we look on the one on the right, is that with the bird head? Is that, yeah, that that's, that's thought. He, so, um, oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So it is either a ibis, which is that kind of, um, bird, or it could be a baboon. And he is the God of writing and also magic. So it's important to have him around. And so, whose hand um, would he be holding there? Um, maybe that's actually the the guy the, the guy who's the mummy. That would make sense. Yeah, bringing that would... him to the um, right. You know, there's a whole funeral process, the whole Book of the Dead process of how you have to go through the app. You know, to be able to go into the afterlife. So you mm -hmm. have to be very. You have to live a very clean life because if mm -hmm. they decide that you you know did things that weren't um, you know in, of the highest divine order, you know you might not be going anywhere. So. I see. I, yeah. I totally understand. And do you think that the the Egyptian times was a time was a time when other planetary beings were here and gave them information about how to build the pyramids? And was that like when they say these gods, they're really just beings from other planets, right? Well, Thot, um, I think, is from because I asked him who developed the hieroglyphs, and he said that it's. It's from another comes from another star system. It's channeled from another star system, and so I think I, I'm a little confused if it's from the Pleiades. I haven't quite figured out where. I've been trying to ask, um, but I haven't really gotten the right answer. But I mean, there's definitely some connections to otherworldly. Um, you know, I don't really know. I mean, uh, you know, I don't exactly know, but it, I've been digging into it. But you think that it must, because they must have brought um, sort of uh, the anti-gravity things to make the pyramids, put the stones and things like that. All those technologies must have been in play at that time that were not from Earth. And somehow they must have left. And then when you look at things like the pyramids or what was built, you go, oh, my gosh, how in the heck did they do that? It must have been like a lot of slaves or something like that, a lot of manpower. But none of that happened. That was all like done with right. a completely different technology. Right, I think there is so many spiritual technologies that we don't even, we're not even aware of, or I guess off-planet technologies, um, because they do say the pyramids are just inactive at the moment, but that they were power centers. And the same with the obelisks, um, they are so powerful. I mean, Tell us a little bit about that. Do you, I don't know if you have any pictures of the, because an obelisk inherently is like a, encoded activation point or something right i mean is it i guess actually i should ask you because i know you know um i guess it's almost like a just a huge magic wand like a piezo that's yeah that's what i, um, I sort of I mean because i meditated the obelisk and um actually there is a i think it's one of the last slides um of cleopatra's needle um it's super powerful it's the most powerful place i mean the thing is that um so many of the obelisks I mean, the Romans were taking obelisks out of Egypt 
since uh, 40 AD, Caligula actually was the first one to bring over an obelisk to Rome and he uh, placed it in the Vatican. And um, this obelisk was brought over by the Freemasons um, in, in the late 1800s. It was originally, um, I think it was from the 16th century, Thutmose uh, the third, he um, erected two of these um, in, in his honor. And I think that because it's, I mean, the Egyptian times, you know, it's about a 3000 year, year old period. Um, I think another ruler came in after him and just knocked them all down. And originally, and then eventually Cleopatra ended up with them like a, probably about a thousand years later. And I think she had- So them is it creating, you said it's like a big magic wand. Is it creating yeah. an activation energy at that point? Would you go to the obelisk in order to experience something? What would be the purpose? I mean, I find it to be like a crazy power upgrade. I every time I go there, and especially if the sun's out, it's amazing. Because there's one, there's one in Central Park. Yeah, and so I go up there and I meditate, and I'm actually going to start doing uh, group meditations there in a few weeks because I've been meaning to do it for a long time. Um, just so it would be really powerful as a group. Um, it's amazing on full moons and new moons. It's an amazing time to be there, and. It's just, you, you could do amazing muscle testing in front of it. I mean, it's so powerful. It's, it's such an incredible tool and it's just sitting in the park. And <laughs> I think that, you know, and the thing is the Freemasons brought it over and I think there's, you know, they have their own agenda with it. Um, there, there's even, I guess they, there's even a time capsule that they put under it, which kind of corrupts it a little bit, but it's still a pretty amazing um, it's amazing. I, I, don't, I don't know what else to say, but you have to uh, check it out in real life. Very cool. Okay, what else should we look at? We got about 15 oh, so, minutes. So actually, so some of the, I could introduce you to a few more mummies or actually just show you a few of my mummy drawings. I think. Oh, let's do both. Wait, let's go through them. We'll go through them rather, you know, sort of uh, at a fast pace. Yeah. So we've got the, um, I think we did. Okay, oh, yeah, so these guys. So this group actually, interestingly, so I meditate in the room and I usually stand next to these two. And this is where I've really learned about inner peace and just the body being at rest. Like um, just this, like the, the most, I, I don't know, like I'm, I'm sorry, I'm losing thought. Um, it's like, now I know what it's like to be dead and it feels great. <laughs> like it almost looks, you almost look forward to dying um, but I feel like because they, if you understand the state is sort of like an enlightened state or a state right. of zero point or something like that. Yeah. Just, yes. Just the body is so at peace and you're so at peace. And I looked him up and it ends up that he was one of the first, um, he wrote a book about inner peace and about to get, keeping away from the material world. He was one of the first writers to, um, to, uh, start that movement. And I, once I found that out, I was like, oh, that's so interesting because that's who I learned from. I didn't realize that, um, that that's what he did when he was alive. Um, I have his name somewhere, but um, anyway, so yeah, you could go on to the- um, What is this? Is this a goatee or what is this thing? Right, it's kind of funny. I think it means that it's their male, if they have one of those. It, okay. I guess it's like a pharaoh um, sort of, you know, I don't know, actually, I have to look that up. I, but I think it yeah, means uh, they're male. Yeah. if they don't have one, it means they're female. All right, let's go to the next one. So we've got um, number 11. Oh, that's hmm? the opening of the mouth ceremony that I was talking about where they um, bring the mummies and the statues to life. 
so uh, what do they do when they do this? Well, they have these, um, those things they're putting in their mouth, I forgot what they're called, but it's supposed to um, help them to eat and see and breathe in the oh, afterlife. Oh, in the afterlife. Yeah. So when somebody is prepared, this is their actual, like, they're not, like, basically they were going to die. They were getting ready to die. It's not like they off them. They're dead, they're to... dead. They're dead yeah. here. Or they're statues. Yeah. They're, but they're yeah. bringing them to life. And okay. that really makes a lot of sense now that I've been communicating with them all. Now I'm like, oh, okay. Wait, why does it make sense though? Because I used to think I was losing my marbles, you know, by communicating with all these spirits. And now I realize that that was just a very normal part of life, that, that people came a lot of times, the gods would come into the, the statue um, so that they could be worshiped. Gotcha. And, um, and so there's so much energy around, especially the ones, the statues that have been in the temples um, and the same to do with the Buddha, Buddhas and things of that nature. Um, anybody that's been preyed on so much, but also the connection between the spirit and the human. Well, how does this compare to when we think about uh, that you're um, reincarnated, that when, it, when one of these, how come these spirits didn't go on and reincarnate to other lives? Well, that is the interesting thing, because I was thinking they also thought that they would be living this eternal life in the afterworld, but they're actually like sitting in museums and they love having visitors because I think they're a little bored. <laughs> maybe maybe they would have gone to another life if they didn't go through this whole ceremony. Um, but they are in, in eternity. They are, you know. So do you think that they've been sort of holding space or holding energy, maybe even for this, the time that we're living through, that that's maybe think, some of I their. I think there's no mistake that they've been brought into different museums. And that's kind of what they've been telling me, that there there's no mistake that this is, that they're here and that, thing, you know, there's going to be some big shifts into the Egyptian timeline. And um, yes, maybe they are holding space for it or that they remind you of, or they remind humans of who they really were by because tapping. When, I, when I look at all the symbology, like it, it definitely feels like, even though I can't put words to it, that there is some type of download, that there's some type mm -hmm. of upgrade that happens energetically or frequency wise. Like, I don't think there's too many people that aren't like drawn to this and sort of drawn into it and just like, just tell me what all this means. Well, how can I determine it? How can I, you know, in, you know, help take this and bring something into my life that's positive, bring some type of wisdom or knowledge. Is that what they're trying to impart to us? Um, I, you know, probably so. I mean, if they, I mean, if you think about it, this, this is eternal and you know, these, these artifacts are still alive today. So they're bringing, you know, maybe they knew that in the future things were going to get corrupted. Maybe it's, it's an experiment. Um, I don't really know exactly, but um, um, I don't know. <laughs> but it was you'll find out. You'll, you'll yeah. figure it out. I mean, there's still so much I need to learn. I mean, the book is a work in progress, but every time I start writing, so much information comes to me. So um, yeah, it's still a work in progress for sure. Amazing. So we've got this mummy right here. Yes, this is one of my mummies. Um, you can put them all up if you want. I just wanted to show a few examples of, of some of the drawings. These this are ones that you've of, drawn. 
Yes, this one, it's funny. I feel like her name is Madge and she should have a cigarette in her hand. But um, I might redraw her actually, because I'm not sure. I'm, I was, is I this would... an inspiration from the three that we were looking at or this is totally different? These are these are other mummies there. I just gave, gave you a smattering here of different ones that I had drawn. And you've drawn them from actual ones that are in the museum. Yes, they're the actual ones. In the so they're female and male mummies. Yes. Yeah. These seem and, to be all female. And did female, were they scribes? Did they do something else? Were they healers? It's very rare, it's very rare for women to be a scribe. Yeah. It's pretty kind much a male, yeah. male dominated, dominated profession. So, and did they, this is how they were mummified. They were adorned with these different symbols. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically just drawing the coffins. Um, and, but I have to say that it was very important for me to get the essence of each of these mummies. There's actually one more mummy there yeah. that I drew that really does feel like is from another planet, this one. It's like okay. such a strange drawing. And the weird part is I actually had a communication with that drawing the other day and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I think I need to take a break. What did, she, what, did she, what did she communicate? She said that she works with a fire dragon, but I don't know. I was like, am I supposed to draw the fire dragon? This is getting a little weird. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, but it's a very different style. Um, and actually she, the one next to her is also one of her, um, also from the same mummy, the one with the, the dress on. Yes, this one. So, um, and it seems like so very is, different stuff. What is the scarab? Um, this, well, scarab is, you know, um, an insect that is very, you know, you can find all over Egypt and I mean, it's just a very sacred symbol. Well, what is, um, what do you know, or if you don't know, it's okay, but do you know what the symbology not, is? I'm actually not sure what the scarab symbol is. I mean, it's, it's, it might be partially decorative. Um, I guess I have to look I that think up. it has a, I think it has it a very has precise meaning, meaning yeah. because I think it's yeah. been used for good and yeah. for other, other things as well. I think there's, but I think there's a very precise, I don't know the symbology. I think mm, there is a meaning know. to it. I'm sure there is. All right. So what's the, so yeah, Beth, she looks very, uh, she has a lot of personality. Yeah. And her name's Beth. I don't, <laughs> I was, so I was trying to figure out, I was like, it like how many, you know, did they, were they mummified and did they go on to another life also? Because they do say that they're, they can double their, mm -hmm. they could have a spirit in the, the mummy and they could also have a spirit out in the ethers. So, um, oh yeah, there's another one. So, so these, these to, are ones that you drew from the actual ones in the museum or did they, yeah. or the, okay. Yeah, these are all, these are all from the museum. They all want me to draw them. And, and so, yeah, this one, actually, this is the first one I started to draw. And um, this one seems very familiar to ones that we've seen in popular culture or. Yeah, I mean, they're probably pretty popular um, mummies. I mean, they don't look like Tukahaman, but, um, but it's interesting that there, the immersive Tukahaman exhibit is, is all over the United States now. It's just starting to, I think it's in Boston right now. They have these wow. big light show things. Wow. So it's like, well, that's interesting because it used to be the um, mummies themselves. And now it's a light show, but I was like, wow, it's going to bring a whole new audience into the Egyptian world. Yeah, definitely. It sounds yeah. like you're right on time, the timetable for that. But I think also, I mean, they are also showing me that I'm supposed to be making, you know, dresses or gowns out of these mummies. I mean, it's all like, it all relates back to fashion. I guess they, 
you know, I don't know, they just keep giving me projects. And so I'm like, okay, I could, I could do be that. Very, I would think it would be very appealing to people, these patterns, because they're so symbolic and because they have such incredible, they're, they're in basically encoded information. They have mm-hmm. all this frequency information so that even putting on the particular pattern, you're downloading and assimilating the frequency. Right. Well, they say that it's kind of opens a little portal, like because I, oh, that's, portal. The, uh, that's these the hieroglyphs on the sides of the uh, obelisk. But yes, they they say that my work, the energy of my work, because I'm getting all these upgrades for Hormhep is giving me all these upgrades that I'm putting this energy into the work. So he also wants me to produce them as well. I design them and I produce them because my energy is going to Tra- you know translate into the yes work. no i think that's it you're a translator of them and the translation is often you know even in the fashion expression which is really really cool right. um it's exciting uh, it's so so fun like i can't wait to share you know your website with all of your creations and dresses and things that you've designed for this yeah it's i mean it's definitely a work in progress and um like i think i said to you before i've been asking for new projects to come and I keep getting a lot of projects but I I said oh maybe I should say from beings in bodies (laughs) because I'm getting so many projects from spirits without bodies and (laughs) like well I mean they seem to say that I'm actually going to make a lot of money from this that's what they I so I'm like I don't know if they're just trying to lure me in (laughs) Well, no, I mean, it makes sense though. What's with the, um, the Rome obelisk? What's with this one? Oh, I was just saying that um, there are more obelisks in Rome and at the Vatican than there are in Egypt at the moment. And that's and, amazing. And, and yeah. because they're, they're all, actually, all the Roman actually, emperors were bringing them over. Um, and so saying that Caligula was the first one to bring over an obelisk in like 37 AD. And he, he was a bit of a nut. Um, well, or maybe he was actually not a nut. Maybe he was really a cool guy. I don't know. But he used to dress up like the gods and goddesses, um, you know, in public while he was ruling Rome. And um, he wanted to eventually move his office to Alexandria and rule from there. But he brought over the obelisk. And um, in this book I've been reading, they were saying that all these Roman emperors brought over the obelisks and a lot of popes and uh, very that's how they got people. their power. They got most right. of their, their power. power the but it, also, it also was their demise. I think a lot of them ended up, you know, like there was a lot of weird. Yeah, they 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 abused. It's like you get it and you can use it for your your power, but then there's also like a boomerang effect to it because you don't know how to. You're maybe not using it properly, or you're misusing right. well, it or something. Well, there's, they think that it's very masculine. It's a very masculine phallic symbol. But really, it's, you know, they were using it with their ego and, you know, kind of, exactly. um, you know, corrupted masculinity. Um, whereas Cleopatra, I think, definitely, that's how she got her power as well. But it worked better for her. <laughs> because maybe I, she understood the essence she, of it. Right. But also, it's um, maybe because she was female. And maybe, yes, maybe she had a different take on it. Um, yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard to say, but um, well, but yes, seems, I think it, it was seems like at the, at, at the heart of it, there is this incredible wisdom that you're just now starting to decode. And even one of the comments in the chat says, "Dr. Gary Young, who's from Young Living Oils, he got his recipes for essential oils from the Temple of Isis walls. He decoded the glyphs, and so it sounds like you're in the process of doing something similar yourself." 
Wow, that's very cool. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely very interesting. There's so much to tap into. I mean, I have to go to Egypt. I haven't been there yet. I'm I have to plan a trip because now I have to go see Hormheb's tomb. I need to, he has a lot of other statues in. I'd say um, Hormheb is like a lead sort of guide for you in all yeah. of this, huh? Yeah. So I want to go and see his other statues while he was a pharaoh and see if I have the same communications with them there is the spirit. Well, I can't wait for you to do, you should do a, a guided tour and bring other people with you into this experience. Yeah, I guess I can. I mean, I guess I have to go first and figure, you know, figure it all out. But, um, but it seems like Luxor is where, um, which used to be Thebes, where all of the mummies are from. There's a lot of, there's a lot I still need to um, unpack and untangle. So yeah, but that so this is this is kind of where I yeah this is this is what what I'm doing. This is the starting point. But he's <laughs> yes. he's like he's like a, a like a guardian angel or some type of like lead guide for you. Um, <laughs> very fascinating, just energy. Just I think it's for all of us, you know, not just to um, uh, learn from books, but to allow the downloads to come to us, like you're allowing the downloads to come to you and having these active conversations with them so that they can give you wisdom and help you to teach others. I mean, I think it's really exciting. I have more, you know, connection to this information now. Like I just realized how, like just the statue alone is artwork, right? When you look at it, it's a pretty amazing. It just really, it really draws you in, especially with the symbols right below his feet, right? Mm -hmm. You can probably get a lot of um, downloads. Well, Barry, this has been absolutely fascinating. Like I, this is just the inception point of your work and it's so going to be so exciting to see where it goes. Thank you so much for having me on. This was fun. (laughs) Great fun. fun. Well, hopefully you'll come back as you continue to develop this and interpret and download the codes. We can learn so much of how to use these tools in our own life. Oh, I do have um, one other thing to say. So um, he also told me um, that I should say, I should tell you about, I have an a Instagram page called House of Central Sun, where I'm going to be putting all the dates for the um, meditations at the obelisk. But he also said that if I say the word House of Central Sun, that it would be giving an upgrade to the audience. So, so, say, I, so, so I was like, okay. I'm first, I know this Instagram page, I'm going to try to link it because um you know, and every time I look at your Instagram page that you have, I feel an upgrade. So say it one more time for people to go to Instagram and look for. It's house of central sun, but it's house underscore of underscore central underscore sun. And it's, um, it's where the obelisk, it's basically the obelisk is the house of central sun. Um, But also it's central sun, the sun behind the sun, right? The spiritual sun and central park. So it's all, if you could remember all of that. Okay, I'm just, um, I just linked it in the um, chat there for people. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah, the, the central sun feels like it's so multi-coded. I mm-hmm. feel like it's central sun, something to do with the whole universe and Dramada or something like that. Do you, is there I any other? I think it is. I think it's the sun for, yeah, like a much larger, you know, universe than, you know, it's not just the sun. Not it's just the sun has a much deeper meaning. Yeah. yeah, that's so exciting. Well, when you begin to uh, continue to decode this, we'll definitely have you 
have to have you back because it's fascinating information that we can all get something from and use in our own lives. And uh, Richard said this was absolutely awesome and got some uh, applause from Lori. So we got some wonderful, uh, Lisa says, I love this. So interesting. Let's all go to Egypt. So you better coordinate that Egyptian trip. So we hey, everybody on this, everybody who's on here, all going to Egypt. I think, I think, you know, really just even leaving the conversation, like it really it makes me want to go and stand in front of that Hormheb actual statue and some of the mummies. And I think it, it is something that you have to experience viscerally personally to really go deeper into it. So it'll be fun to have you leading those maybe in New York and maybe in Egypt. It'll be wonderful. Mm, I want to figure out how we could do sleepovers in the mummy room. So that's why <laughs> that's what the, that's what the um, mummy sleeping bags are for. Um, because I guess that's going to be a future, um, a future thing that goes on there. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Barry, thank you very, very much. Big hugs thank and so appreciation. Much. Keep doing that wonderful work. Yeah, thank you. This is great. Thank you. Have a, have a good, have a good night. You did a great, you did an awesome <laughs> thank you, everybody. job. Too. Thank you. Bye. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. And Barry, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing that incredible wisdom and all the great downloads. You may continue to feel those downloads or upgrades vibrationally as you think about some of the symbols and pictures and mummies and pharaohs and scribes that we've looked at today. And it's all frequency energy, different codes and uh, frequencies being given to us in the same way that we use other frequency technology. So it certainly is a very exciting time to be alive. We're here every week for the Frequency of 528 podcast. You can join us on the live stream. Join us on YouTube under my uh, YouTube channel, which is under Ariel Policano. And check us out, the Frequency of 528 podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye for now.